So much of modern motherhood is spent wishing we were doing better, whether we're comparing ourselves to other moms or to the ideal mom we assumed we'd be before we had kids. But this wishing takes us further and further away from joy, and it stops us from being the mom we want to be. I'm Rebecca Brownwright, and I'm here to help you focus on connection, because connecting more deeply with yourself and with your kids will help you forget about mom comparisons. Connection will help you resolve behavior issues with your kids, and connection will help you live a life full of real joy, because that's what you and your kids deserve. Pause and connect with me for a moment to listen to discussions about connection and motherhood, finding your purpose, smashing cultural narratives, and so much more. This is Pause and Connect. Welcome back, everyone. This is episode 26, Learning to Let It Go, Parenting Lessons from a Dinosaur and a Kitchen Towel. And that that title will make sense as we go along. Okay, so recently I've been thinking about stepping back and letting my kids learn their own lessons. This is kind of something that's on my mind a lot. But the funny thing is, it seems I've actually been thinking about this topic for several years (laughs) because I recently stumbled on a blog post that I wrote several years ago about this very same thing. (laughs) So it appears I'm on a years long journey with this topic of stepping back and letting my kids learn their own lessons. (laughs) When will I learn the lesson? Perhaps never completely, right? Some lessons evolve and strengthen over time. And I think this is one of those for me. You probably have one, something like that too. So I'm going to start this episode out by reading my blog post from about four or so years ago when I had a nine-year-old, six-year-old, and three-year-old, and I was beginning to understand this lesson more fully. Here's the blog post. Lately, I've been noticing that my kids don't hear me. (laughs) It's strange, you see, because I'll be standing in the same room with them, sometimes right next to them, but they can't hear a word that comes out of my mouth. They can't hear if I whisper, and they can't even hear if I yell. They just simply can't hear me. If I didn't know any better, I would think they need their hearing checked, but I'm fairly certain their hearing is fine. All I have to do is open a bag of anything sweet, and no matter how far away those precious children are, their ears will pick up the crinkle of a cookie package being opened. And if I try to have a quiet conversation with my husband in a separate room, they're suddenly right by our side, wanting to know exactly what we're talking about. So it must be something else. I must have turned into a nag. Once, when I was little, I watched my mom call up the stairs to one of my brothers to ask him to do something, and I thought, how does she know what to ask him to do? How will I ever be able to think of anything for my own kids to do when I'm a mom? Well, I learned how to do it a little too well, and I am seeing that I use this quote-unquote skill a little too much. I frequently interrupt my kids to give them a task or to stop them from trying something, And as a result, I've learned that my kids' brains are only interested in a certain number of stop that's and please do this on your way to do that's. Pity. So I'm trying to check myself before I wreck myself. I'm realizing I'm a mom who will see an idle child and immediately put said child to work, even if the child is standing around having a nice chat with me. I am beginning to see that this is problematic. You see... Some of my best memories involved sitting at the kitchen counter and blabbing about my day to my mom while she cooked dinner. Sure, she could have sent me to do one of the many undone chores on my list. She could have coerced me into helping with dinner, but instead she let me sit and talk. And if I keep giving my nine-year-old new chores every time she comes to talk to me, she's going to come stop coming to talk to me. And while quiet and peace would be kind of nice every now and then, I really would rather my children talk my ears off than avoid me. So I'm trying to stop assigning chores at the first sign of a break. I'm trying to stop myself from correcting my kids if they aren't doing anything terribly wrong. I'm trying to let them just do their thing. 
And when my attempts are successful, everybody is happier. Three-year-old Rex woke up the other day with his tiny dinosaur toy in his hand. It was scarcely larger than a quarter. This is my baby, he cooed while he cradled the little reptile. I love her. He carried his dinosaur with him all that day, snuggling his face in for a moment of bonding every now and then. Then, at one point, he decided she was cold and needed a blanket. So, he went to our kitchen towel drawer and helped himself to a hand towel. My first instinct was to tell him no. I didn't want the kitchen towel dragged all over the house, and I didn't want it lost somewhere. I knew we had doll blankies in a toy box somewhere that would be a better size. I was just about to guide his hands to put back the kitchen towel and take him to the doll box for a quote-unquote proper blankie when I stopped. In a flash, I realized this really didn't matter to me in the end, so why should I change his path? In fact, I have too many kitchen towels and they aren't expensive. Who cares if this one gets lost or dirty? But more importantly, I realized three-year-old Rex was developing a nurturing skill and he had come up with a solution on his own. So I stepped back and decided to not interfere. He carried his tiny dinosaur in a kitchen towel for the rest of the day. The problem was the towel was much too big for the quarter-sized reptile and the dinosaur kept getting lost. It seemed Rex's nurturing solution wasn't perfect, but still I didn't interfere. When we walked to his sister to the bus stop, we traveled at a snail's pace so he could properly nurture his favorite dinosaur of the day. That poor reptile fell from her too large cocoon of comfort half a dozen times, prompting hysterics from her concerned toddler caretaker. (laughs) But I learned something new. When I stepped back and let Rex's idea play out, I was still there to help. He still learned. And most importantly, we connected. Because suddenly, I was playing the role of dinosaur protector, returning her to her nurturing owner each time she fell. And Rex's gratitude at my help was always shown with a big grin and a giant hug. What would I have missed out on if I hadn't let him carry this kitchen towel idea to fruition, even as it seemed to be a failure of a plan? If I had stopped and asked him to put the towel away since it was too big to hold the tiny dinosaur, I would have missed out on being my child's dinosaur protector. I would have missed out on his grateful hugs each time the dinosaur fell from the towel. He would have missed out on learning how to solve this problem, and we would have missed out on this unique form of connection. And still, I had the opportunity to teach him within all these moments. I showed him how to fold the towel, and I helped him to communicate more clearly about his frustrations. And as we went along, we were figuring out how to do things his way, but together. Now, it was just a kitchen towel and a tiny plastic dinosaur. Rex will never remember that day, but I will, because it showed me I can be taught how to cooperate rather than dictate. I hope I can master this skill before the teenage years. I want more dinosaur kitchen towel moments. So that was my article several years ago, and I've since been in constant pursuit of making this a basic tenet of my parenting. And oh, wow, do I still forget it. I still stop my kids when they have ideas because I think their plans are too messy, too bothersome, too much work. I still do this. My kids can tell you I still do this too often. I have not let them have a lemonade stand this summer because I don't want to deal with with all the work and the mess that I know it's going to be. So I'm still struggling with this, okay? But I still try to step back because this skill is an important one to learn and I'm committed to keep trying. The other day, one of my kids wanted to use her quarters at the toy machine with the claw. You know the one where you use that joystick to try and pick up a stuffed animal and it never works, like it's designed to not work? (laughs) So she's been wanting to do this for a long time. 
I tried to dissuade her because I didn't want her to waste her money or be disappointed. So I told her the claw rarely works, but she didn't care. She wanted to do it anyway. So finally, after a few conversations, I remembered this lesson that I'm trying so hard to learn. I stepped back to let it go, to let her try her idea and then be there for her, whether it works out or not. Just like I was there for Rex with the dinosaur falling out of the towel over and over. So we went to the grocery store and she put in her four quarters. There was this beanie boo that she really wanted. And so she aimed the claw there, but she hesitated too long. And if you've ever played one of these, you know, the disappointment here, the claw went down right where it was because she hadn't, she hadn't finished it. And it was right over this ugly blue monkey. She was, she was so upset. She did not want that ugly blue monkey. So you know how the claw works. It did not pick up the ugly blue monkey, even though it was perfectly positioned, it didn't pick it up. And so as she saw the claw move back up, she was relieved. Oh, yay! I get another chance. I'm going to get the beanie boo now. But as you and I both know, there was no other chance. The claw only goes down one time, right? So it worked its way back to its starting position and it stubbornly sat there waiting for the next sucker to deposit four quarters into the machine. And in an instant, my poor little girl went through all of the stages of grief. Like really, it was, it was all at once. Uh, first, you know, shock and denial. What? This can't be happening. Pain and guilt. Oh my gosh, I wish I hadn't wasted my quarters. Anger and bargaining. Can we find more quarters? Can we, can we, can we go pick some quarters up? She, she had all these, these, she was reaching for all of these ideas. How can we get more quarters? And then can we break the machine? Because this is a scam and it scammed us. Can we break the machine? <laughs> Depression. There were tears, so many tears. So she went right through all those stages of grief. Now, I have to admit that part of me wanted to give her the lesson here, right? I wanted to say something like, see, sweetie, this is what I told you would happen. Now, next time, don't waste your money on something like this. That's what I wanted to say. But remember, I'm trying to learn to step back, to let it go. These experiences are actually exactly the kinds of experiences we want our kids to have. These are the things that empower them to learn their own lessons and draw their own conclusions. So she absolutely did not need me to swoop in with a life lesson right now because that life lesson was actually formulating more powerfully in her brain as she was processing what was happening, as she was going through those stages of grief. And so before I could say, I told you so, I pulled her in for a hug. I pulled her in tight and I said, I'm so sorry. You wish this hadn't happened. I wish this hadn't happened. I wish you could have what you want. Now this didn't solve everything. She continued cycling through those stages of grief. And sometimes when I thought she was out of them, she plunged right back in. In fact, later that night when we were at home, she went right back into the regret, anger, sadness cycle. But I just kept trying to let go of that need to teach a lesson and instead just be there for her. And it wasn't easy because I think there's a satisfaction in being a sage advice giver as a parent. It would have felt good in the moment to remind her that I had told her not to waste her money. It would have felt good in the moment to point out the lesson here, but that would only have been a temporary jolt of satisfaction for me. What would it have been for her? It would have hurt her self-esteem to hear me say that. It would have communicated to her that she probably shouldn't trust herself next time. Just listen to your mom next time. Stop following your own instincts, right? And it would have put distance between her and me. So I just kept hugging and telling her I was sorry she was experiencing this hard thing. 
It wasn't the easy way forward, but this type of parenting is connected and long-term. We're not looking for the easy way through this moment. We're looking for the way to connect through the hard times so that our children can be strengthened in the long-term and so that our relationship can be strengthened. And just like the dinosaur in the kitchen towel with little Rex, I think a better lesson was learned in the end by me and by my daughter. I learned that my child can handle hard things. She can handle disappointment and regret. She's strong enough. I don't have to shield her from things like this. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't fun to watch her go through that, but she went through it and she handled it and she got stronger. And I, I, didn't have to, I don't have to remove those experiences from her. That's really empowering to me as a parent to see that my child can learn from her mistakes, that my child, even before she learned, she could handle the disappointment. That's a great thing to learn. I also learned I don't have to stop her from making mistakes. And that's a big lesson. Now, sure, I can still provide guidance and I can help her see future consequences of her actions because kids' brains aren't fully developed and they need us to teach them that. They need us to teach them how to think through to the end result, how to think through to those future consequences. And I'm going to continue to do that. But when she chooses a path that doesn't work, like this, when she decides to go her own way anyway, look at how she can handle the situation and survive. Look at how she can make it through and look at how we can make it through. You know, this is reminding me of a kayaking experience I just had. I failed miserably on the river. I had this same child in the kayak with me. And every time we came to a bend in the river, I guided us straight into the edge where we were attacked by hard branches and bushes and trees. It was so miserable. And my husband, he, he watched it all happen. He was in a different kayak and he was trying to be encouraging. He was being actually being very encouraging. And and as I, I bemoaned this later, like, oh, I kept driving us into the edge of the river and getting attacked. He's like, no, 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 the river was guiding you there. And he's right. The river was strong and it was pushing us there, but I was not... Uh, um, experienced enough to get us away from that river. Nobody else was doing, well, a couple other people were going to the edge of the river too, but, but had I been more skilled and understood the kayak and the river better, we wouldn't have gone there. So my husband was very generous in that, (laughs) in saying that to me. But anyway, there were a few tiny rapids too, um, not, not horrible ones, but, but they were really scary for me because I, I was just doing so bad. And I just didn't know how to handle myself. And my brother, who's a very experienced rafter and kayaker, at one point looked at me and he said, you know, you need to just fall in on one of these rapids. Or they're more like riffles. That's what they were calling them because they're not full rapids. Anyway, he said, you need to just fall in. You need to just tip over in a riffle and see that you can survive. Then you're going to be okay. And then he pointed up river to two of his teenage kids who were managing their kayaks really well. Now, they had fallen out in a huge rapid on a rafting trip a year or so ago. I can't remember how long ago, but it was it was really scary. Um, they they both had to remember because it was a huge rapid, and they both had to remember what they'd been taught. You know, they put their feet forward and floated on their backs through the rapid. Not they didn't fight the rapid, and that's kind of not instinctual. But they remembered what to do, and then once they were out of the rapid, they they had to really quickly get to the edge of the river. This is hard to do. They had to do this alone because. I I don't know where their dad was. Like he was either back in the raft and trying to get to them or he had fallen out too. I can't remember exactly. But when you fall out in a rapid, you're you're basically alone. But the thing is they both made it. Eventually they were reunited with their dad and the raft and all was well in the end. But I'm sure they were scared. 
And I'm sure they were nervous the next time they got in a raft or a kayak. But they also were empowered because they had fallen in and they had survived. And so much of the fear in rafting or anything really is in the unknown. You know, how are we going to handle ourselves if the worst happens? That's where the fear lies. But then once we face the worst, once we fall out of the raft in a huge rapid, we realize that we can do hard things. We realize we are equipped to handle this situation. And that's exactly what was happening. My niece and nephew were up ahead of me handling their kayaks just fine. You know, there was even one part where there were, I don't, I don't know exactly what happened, but uh, I think there were too many kayaks at once and my niece got stuck on a rock and she didn't freak out because she's already fallen out. She knows, she knows that this isn't the end. But there I was <laughs> freaking out over these tiny riffles because I didn't know how to handle myself for one. And I didn't trust that I could handle myself if the worst happened and I fell out or made my child fall out. So my brother was right. He really was. I just needed to fall out and see that I could survive. But I really didn't want to do that. <laughs> and I didn't. And this is not a redemption story. I didn't I didn't overcome this. Um, I hooked myself to my brother's kayak and let him guide me through the rest of the river. And then as fast as I could, I ran away from that kayak once I, once I pulled to the edge at the, at the stopping point. I definitely did not learn my lesson on that river. And maybe I would have learned it better if I had fallen out and gotten back in. But in this case, I'm also okay just leaving kayaking behind me. I have a lot of things I like to do and I don't, I don't need to like kayaking. Some things just, just aren't for me and that's okay. But that's a good example, right? Because when it comes to our kids, we should trust them to learn when they fail or struggle. It's okay to fall out and figure out how to get through that. We should definitely prepare them and help them make positive choices. And my niece and nephew had been very prepared on what to do. Every single time they went down the river, they were told what to do. And they'd been on the river many times. Many times they had not fallen out, but every single time they were told, this is how you get through a rapid. This is how you get to the edge of the water. I've heard the lesson many times too. And that's, that's, that's something that you know to do. So they'd been, they had been prepared. This is what's going to happen if you fail, if you fall, if this, if this struggle happens, this is what you're going to do. So they were prepared and then they survived, right? So when it comes to our kids, we should prepare them and help them make positive choices, but we should also accept that mistakes are going to happen along the way. And we can be okay and trust them that those mistakes, they're going to survive them and they're, those mistakes are eventually going to help them in the long run. They're going to make them stronger and more confident and more able to handle bigger situations later on down the road. So that's what I learned from my daughter's claw toy machine experience. I learned that she can learn lessons from her experiences. When she finished cycling through the stages of grief for the last time, she said to me, I don't think I want to try one of those machines again. And that was her own conclusion. She, she learned her lesson and that's the lesson she chose to learn. Now, she could have chosen a different lesson. What if she had chosen that she wanted to try again and again until she got it? What if she was like, I'm going to beat this machine? Well, we would have talked about it. I would have helped her. I would have I would have gone over the pros and cons. And if she was really really committed to doing it, maybe I would have looked up articles, you know, how how to beat the machine, you know? Maybe we would have read those. Maybe I would have helped her raise quarters so that she could keep going and trying and trying. 
You know, like I, I, if that's the conclusion she came to, that's still a good conclusion because she would have gotten to her own conclusion and I still could have supported her either way, whether she wants to give it up or whether she wants to keep trying, I can help her do it in a better way. But the point is she made her own conclusion because she got to try her idea and experience the disappointment of failure. She also learned that I will be there for her if she does something regretful. And you know, this is a good practice for me. It's a good lesson for her to learn, to learn that her mom's going to be there, but it's a really good practice for me because the stakes here were really low, right? She lost four quarters, which of course was devastating to her at her age, but this wasn't the type of loss that she's going to experience in the future. In the future, if she bombs a job interview or if she loses a friend, I'm already going to have this practice behind me, right? So I can support her instead of rationalizing or giving advice or telling her what she did was wrong. I'm already practicing stifling that urge and replacing it with connection. And I'm doing that when the stakes are low. And I need that practice because like I've said, my instinct is to make the lesson plain, to put that lesson out there. My instinct is to say, see, if you would listen to me or, hey, I want you to remember how you're feeling so you don't make this mistake again. That's my instinct. But I have to learn how to step away from that too. So this experience allowed me to practice practicing on these tiny moments, that dinosaur in the kitchen towel, the claw toy machine. This not only helps my kids learn lessons, it helps me learn how to better support my children in the future. This is hard work. It really is, but it's definitely worth it. So if this is new or unfamiliar to you, or if you're working on it like me, here's a process that works quite well. You can, you can commit it to memory and then call upon it whenever you need it, which let's be honest, it's probably going to be today, right? (laughs) Considering how children tend to have challenges every day and they challenge us every day. So yep, you'll probably um, turn this podcast off and within a half hour, you'll get to practice this. Okay. So commit this to memory. Step one, hug or connect in a way that your child lets you. So if they don't let you hug, get close to them, sit next to them, um, give them a hug if they will, stop what you're doing and look them in the eye. You know, whatever you and your child are comfortable with, try and connect in a physical way, um, either being near or, or touching them if they'll let you. Step two is to bite your tongue when you want to say, I told you so, or when you want to say, stop, we're not gonna do that. Um, bite your tongue and then replace it with, especially if they're hurt, replace it with, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Or, um, or if they're trying something, bite your tongue from saying that's not going to work because, and maybe ask them a guiding question or maybe let them try it and see what happens. Step three is to say what you think your child is feeling. Point that out because this helps them feel seen. A simple phrase is to say, you really wish that didn't happen. Other phrases are, you're feeling sad or angry or upset or whatever emotion you think they're feeling. And if you get that wrong, don't worry. They're going to tell you. They're going to say, no, I'm, I'm not sad. I'm mad. And then you say, oh, yeah, I understand. You're feeling mad. But the point is you're trying to identify what you think they're feeling because that helps them feel seen and it gives them the opportunity to either agree with you and accept that you're seeing them or to tell you, no, I feel this. And then you can see them in that way. Um, you can say to them, you, you really want this to happen. You know, that's another way to say, I see what, I see what you're feeling. Now, step four is to empathize. I'll I'll go over these again a little bit shorter too. So don't worry. Step four is to empathize. A helpful way to do this is to repeat the same phrase you just said to your child, but for yourself. So in last step, we said, you wish that didn't happen. 
Now in step four, when you're empathizing, say, I wish it didn't happen either. In in step three, when you were saying what your child is feeling and you said, you're feeling sad, angry, upset, that's when you say, I would also be feeling really sad or angry or upset. When in step three, you're identifying what they're feeling and you say, you really want this to happen. Then in step four, when you're empathizing, you can say, I would really want this to happen too. And none of this is fake, right? Because like, as it's real, like you, you can, even, even though these are like pat phrases that I'm giving you, this is, these are real emotions. As you're, as you're saying this, as you're identifying, oh, you really wish that didn't happen. You can also honestly say, I really wish that didn't happen either. I really wish you didn't have to feel sad. You know, like that's, that's genuine and, and it, it, it's meaningful. So those are the four steps. And then you repeat, repeat, repeat. So let me just go through those four steps really quickly without all the commentary uh, to help you remember. So step one is to hug or connect physically in a way that your child is going to let you. Step two is to bite your tongue. Don't say, I told you so. And replace the, I told you so with, I'm so sorry. Step three is to identify what your child is feeling. You really wish that didn't happen. You're really feeling sad or angry. Step four is to empathize. I really wish it didn't happen either. I would be feeling really sad or angry too. And then repeat, repeat. With the, with the claw toy machine, we repeated this multiple times in the day because my, my child was really upset and kept going back to that place where they felt that regret and that anger again. And so we just went through this cycle again. We just, I just continued to identify what she was feeling, validate it, empathize with her, tell her I'm so sorry. And the idea here is to help your child feel connected, seen, and heard. There's no moralizing, no lessons, no lectures. Just let them work through their feelings with you by their side. Then you get to step back and be amazed at the lessons that your child figures out on their own. They're going to come up with creative solutions and resolutions, and then you can sit back and watch them carry those out too, or join them if they need help. Something that can help you practice this kind of communication is my back and forth journal for caregivers and kids. It gives each of you prompts to answer and then leave on each other's pillow. It's a really helpful way for you to read what your child has to say, to process it, and then accept it. And you don't have to write back with a lesson. You get to just enjoy hearing or reading rather what your child wants to tell you. And that's good practice because that way, when you get to the big stuff, the friendship problems, the meltdowns, the fighting with siblings, the lying, the, all of that, you already have practice listening and connecting to your child because you've been doing it in the back and forth journal. You already know how to communicate a little better and a little more specifically to your specific child. So I'll put the link to the journal in my show notes so you can go and access it there. And I hope that this has been helpful to you. Keep on loving and connecting with your child through the good times and the hard times. You're doing such good work. Thank you so much for pausing and connecting with me today. Your support seriously means the world to me. If you found this episode helpful, I want you to know I have countless other resources for you to find more connection in your motherhood and life. Head to my website, rebeccabrownwright.com to check out my blog, check out my back and forth journal for parents and kids, and take a look at Pause and Connect Academy, where you can find courses to help you stop yelling, find your strengths, and finally get your kids to listen to you. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a positive review, sharing it on social media, or sharing with your friends. I love you, and I want you to thrive in your motherhood and life. Thank you for being here. Now go forth and connect.